Thank you. I'm very honored to be here today. It's a, a blessing to my heart, and I'm, uh, uh, I'm honored to call Chet my friend. Uh, he is a man who is anointed by God and uh, a genuine lover of Jesus Christ. And church, uh, don't ever take him for granted. Uh, he's much more rare than what you think. And um, God says that men like him are worthy of double respect. And I feel double respect for Chet. Our dear Heavenly Father, you are infinite in wisdom. And so sometimes when you share your wisdom with us, uh, we need your Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our understanding because it is beyond our um, natural ability. I pray today that your Holy Spirit would teach us the divine wisdom of generosity and teach it in a way that makes so much sense to us. And I ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The temple in Jerusalem was shockingly gorgeous. Uh, it was so beautiful that it was the kind of place that people stared at. It was covered on the white outside with white stone that glistened in the sunshine. And we know that people made uh, dedication gifts to the temple, uh, plaques and shields of uh, gold and silver. And so it was the kind of place that you felt blessed if you got to go see it. And Jesus loved to go to the temple. And every time he went to the temple, he did something unique and special. One day, Jesus and his disciples went to the temple, and the temple mount was higher than everything around it. And so they walked up to the temple mount, and they, they, they probably went in uh, uh, through one of the uh, common people's uh, gates. Uh, uh, there were gates for the uh, uppities, and there were gates for the common people, and Jesus and his disciples probably went in the common gate. And uh, the first uh, area of the Temple Mount, it was called um, the Court of uh, the Ethnics. If you weren't Jewish, you were allowed to go in the Court of the Ethnics, uh, but you couldn't go any farther. And then there was a gate called the Beautiful Gate. And when you went through the beautiful gate, you were in the court of women. And then if you went up a couple of steps, you were, uh, you were right at the brazen altar where they made burnt sacrifices. There was a big uh, pool of water there that the priest used to wash. And then the doors of the temple faced, it, uh, faced east, and um, 
there was probably a, a beautifully weaved curtain hanging on the front of the temple. On this day, Jesus and his disciples uh, went to the, the beautiful gate and they looked into the court of women and on the north and south side of the court of women, there were offering boxes. I, I, I don't want you to think of them as square boxes. They were shaped like trumpets. They were narrow at the top and, and, and broader at the bottom and, and people came there and gave their offerings. Uh, it would not be uncommon to see a, 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 a Jewish man from Rome dressed in purple and scarlet with a big bag of money, given money in the temple. Uh, it also wasn't unusual. Uh, they actually had people there with silver trumpets, and if you were going to give a lot of money they would blow a trumpet announcement so everybody would turn and watch you give money. So if you have the imagination for it, I want you to think of a guy wearing the best clothes that you could buy. He's got a big bag of money. He calls the trumpeter over, and the trumpeter plays some kind of alert, da 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 da, da or something. <laughs> everybody looks, and this guy starts putting money in the box. And Jesus and the disciples were watching it. Um, they, um, they were caught up in th the uniqueness of it all. It's kind of the way you feel when you watch people at Walmart. Uh, you're, you're not sure what to expect next. Um, <laughs> But Jesus saw something that everybody else didn't see that day. And, and, and he, he said to his disciples, I want you to see this. He said, I want you to watch that lady right there. She was a widow. Jesus called her a widow. We don't know anything about her husband. Uh, we don't know if he was a good man and she cried for him every day or if he was a jerk and she was kind of relieved that he was gone. We just know that, he, that she was a widow. You could see that her clothes were um, a little threadbare and, and they were starting to fray around the sleeves. She didn't have a bag. She didn't need a bag. Uh, she had two very tiny coins. They were called lepta. Uh, we don't have anything like this in uh, our, our monetary system. But if you look at the picture, the top picture on the right is called a widow's mite there. Uh, it, the, the actual word is lepta. It took eight of those little coins to make one asarius. It took 16 asarius to make one denarius, and we know that a denarius was about an average person's daily pay. So if you can imagine how little value those coins had, you'll start to feel the wonder of this story. So Jesus said, 
I want, to, I want you to watch that lady. And the disciples watched her. And she went over to the treasury box with no one wanting to avoid all attention. She took out these two little coins and she put them in the treasury box. If anybody in the world had the right to be afraid and not be generous, it was the widow. Uh, she had no support. She had no family help. She, she was doing it all alone. She was getting a little bit older. She didn't know where her next pay was coming from. Because what little she made, she probably made by doing laundry or cleaning. And if anybody had the, if anybody had the right to say, my life is too precarious to be generous, it was her. And in fact, she did just the opposite. And when she put those two coins in there and started slipping out of the court of women, Jesus spoke to his disciples. And he said, brothers, I want you to learn something today. I want you to watch that poor widow, and I want you to learn something. Jesus said, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put more than all of those who were contributing to the offering box. See, when the disciples looked at it, they saw the guys in the real nice clothes with the big money bags, and they were impressed by that. But Jesus looked right past that, and he looked at this widow, and he said, she has done more than all of the rest of them. Jesus said, I want you to understand this about generosity. It's not about, um, it's not about what it looks like to people it's what God knows is happening in your heart. You see? And then Jesus said, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty. Jesus was saying, when you think about generosity, I want you to ask yourself, what does it cost me to be generous with God? I don't want to, I'm not asking you how much, I'm asking what does it cost you? You see, because if you figure it out that you can do something that really cost you very little, you've misunderstood the whole thing. If your idea of generosity is, I can do this by myself and do everything else I want to do, you've misunderstood the, the teaching of the widow. And then Jesus said, she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And the word that we translate live on comes from the Greek word bios that we get biology from. Jesus said, the money she needed to eat she put in the offering box. What would motivate a woman to do that? I want you to know 
that this struck Peter so powerfully that 35 years after this happened, uh, Peter was telling Mark what to write in the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark is the shortest gospel. But listen, Peter said to Mark, this story has to be in there. And for 2,000 years, people have been reading this story, and Christ has been asking people just like you and I, would you really consider what it means to be generous? And would you consider what your generosity to God really cost you? Have you ever done without something because you were generous with God? Or have you made generosity with God something that fits neatly into your life and doesn't really create too much disturbance? What is it that that widow understood that made her, against all the insecurity she had and all the insecurity she felt, give her lunch money? I'd like to share some ideas with you. First of all, there is a promise in generosity. Jesus himself promised, give and it will be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will it be um, put into your lap. For with the measure you measure, it will be measured to you. That is a promise from Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you trust me, I'm going to tell you what generosity is all about. You give, and I will make sure that it's given to you. Jesus said, if you want to understand generosity, you give before you get. A lot of people said, a lot of people have said to me over the years, uh, you know, when I get more money, I'll be generous. Uh, I've had people say to me, Doc, when I win the lottery, I'm going to show up with a big check. Uh, would you ask me how many big checks I've gotten? Um, I don't know if that means uh, we're all losers and can't win the lottery, or uh, people got the big check and uh, suddenly um, uh, they had other priorities. Jesus said generosity begins with a trust in him that inspires us to, be, to give. And then Jesus said, if you trust in him that way, he's going to make sure that it's given back to you. Listen to what he says. You decide how generous you want him to be with you. With the measure you measure, it will be measured to you. Christ says to us, he says to every one of us, ah, uh, I will measure back to you based on your faith, as your faith be it unto you. There is a promise in generosity, and it comes from the heart of Jesus Christ. And if you're going to really be a generous Christian, it will be because you believe in the promise of Jesus Christ. There's a second idea. It is the... Um, it's the uh, uh, the principle of generosity. Jesus also said this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. 
but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Can you hear what Jesus said? There is a profound principle that you can only learn through generosity. And that is your heart follows your investment. Um, We have so misunderstood Christ on this point that very few people want to go to heaven. Everybody says, I want to go to heaven, but not yet. You know, if you study American history, people didn't feel that way during the Great Depression. Heaven looked beautiful to them. If you read about the Civil War, people didn't feel that way. Heaven looked beautiful to people during the Civil War. But now we've created so much treasure for ourselves on earth. We live in little mansions and only dream of bigger ones. We have color TVs that uh, will do everything but make you a sandwich. Uh, We have refrigerators full of all kinds of tasty treats. Uh, We go on vacation. Uh, We have fancy clothes. And somehow or another, we've laid up so much treasure for ourselves on earth that heaven isn't even appealing. How could it possibly be better than this? And we miss the last part of this. Generosity teaches me that if I don't have a longing for heaven, it's probably because I haven't laid up any treasure there. Church, the principle of generosity is what, where you invest your money is where your heart wants to be. And if we're ever going to be the people who genuinely have a longing to be with Christ, we're going to have to change our mind about the generosity principle. And we're going to have to understand that naked came I into the world and naked will I leave. We're not taking anything with us, brothers and sisters. Uh, But investing with Christ is laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Could I remind you, you don't have anything that is uncorruptible. You don't have anything that somebody can't steal. Except, except the generosity that you have invested in Christ. Um, Then the third principle is the power principle. There is a power that makes generosity uh, irresistible. I was, uh, I have, um, uh, one of my daughters has two daughters. One's in sixth grade and one is in third. And both of their birthdays are in November. And so uh, my oldest uh, uh, daughter, Belle, granddaughter Belle, she got an iPad for her birthday. Well, when she got the iPad, Second kids go, I want an iPad too. Any second kids here? Uh, uh, And her mom said, you know, we got you something else for your birthday. Uh, In a couple of years, you'll get an iPad. They're very expensive. Uh, Two days later, my third grade uh, granddaughter said, 
I know I can, how I can get an iPad, and it won't cost you anything. And Katie said, my daughter said, well, that's interesting. How are you going to do that? And she said, Papa will buy it for me. Uh, and guess what? I did. I did. I'd have picked up cans out of the uh, uh, ditch if I had to. Uh, 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 because that stirred my love for her. That she believed that about me stirred my heart for her. And uh, we're going to give it to her this afternoon at lunch. Uh, you see, love is a power in generosity. Love will make you generous in ways that nothing else will. And can I remind you that the great commandment, the first and great commandment is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. I'm telling you, that widow put everything she had in that offering box because she loved God in that way. When you love the Lord with all your heart, you want to be generous. You want, your heart is stirred up. You, you want to be generous with him. When you love the Lord with all your soul, with all your psyche, you feel the enrichment of God through your generosity. So generosity stops being something that I do for God, and it's something that God and I do together and it changes and enriches my soul. When you love the Lord your God with all your mind, you see the wisdom of generosity. I'm telling you, there is no greater wisdom than the wisdom of generosity. Uh, I, I, I could fix your home in one day if you would do what I said. Stop keeping track and just be more generous with your spouse. Stop keeping track and just be more generous. I could make your life at work 100% more uh, 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 beautiful. Start being generous with the people you work with. Uh, I'm telling you, there is a genius in generosity that can't be learned any other way. When you love the Lord with all your strength, you freely share your financial strength with him because it's meaningful to you. So, there is a promise in generosity. The question is, do you trust the promiser? Our Lord Jesus Christ said, I promise you give, and it will be given unto you. There is a principle in generosity, and that principle is where you put your money, your heart follows. And, and there, is a, um, there is a power in generosity. The greater your love the more compelling your generosity. And then there's a generosity test. In the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, uh, a preacher like Chad and I, he's preaching to a church like this, and he's saying, we're going to remodel the temple, and I want you to be generous. Now listen to what Malachi said to the Old Testament church. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, 
says the Lord of hosts. See if I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. You know what God is saying? Just test me. Before you make up your mind whether generosity is a good thing or a bad thing, before you make up your mind uh, 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 what you should and shouldn't do, Christ says, you test me, and I will prove myself to you. Church, the problem isn't that there isn't enough money. The problem is we're not spending our money correctly. I just shared with uh, the Columbia Station campus a couple weeks ago. As some of you saw on the news, a guy won a billion-dollar lottery. But to win that billion dollars, people had to bet $2 billion because the government takes half of it right away. People in the United States of America bet $2 billion on a lottery. It was a bad bet. Yeah, the guy who won the billion, good for him. But there had to be $2 billion losers for him to win a billion. It, it, the problem is not there isn't enough money. The problem is that we haven't connected with God in the reality of what is really valuable and what should I really be investing in. I believe in God's promise so profoundly that if you make a pledge and you feel like God ripped you off, you come and see me and I'll give you your money back. I'm serious. If you make a pledge and you get five years down the road and you feel like God cheated you, you come and see me, I'll give your money back. I have so much confidence in God that, that he is faithful that um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to do it. Now, I want to be clear. Uh, I'm asking you to make this a soul-changing moment. Um, I'm asking you to make this a soul-changing moment. God is rich and doesn't need our money, but we need to be generous. We need to learn what it really means to trust him and trust him for big things. I'm asking you to trust God in a way that changes your soul. When I was a boy, I learned that nobody could trust Christ for me. I learned at church that you had to trust Christ as your own personal savior, that nobody could do that for you. Well, you know what? The same thing is true as adults. Nobody can trust Christ for me. I live out a faith in Christ or I don't. I believe what he said and I act on that or I don't. And, 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 and moments like this are moments where we say to God, I do trust you and I will live out my faith. Or we come up with convenient excuses why this is really not about me. I want to be plain. I'm asking you to make the largest contribution you've ever made in your life. 
I'm asking you to have a holy moment with God and make the largest contribution you've ever made in your life. I want you to think about what your car payment cost. And then I want you to think about the promise principle. I want you to think about the promise of generosity, the principle of generosity, uh, and the power of generosity. I, I, I want you to think about that great vacation you went on that was really too expensive for you. Church? Brothers, I want you to think about that uh, luxury supper you took your wife out for, and um, uh, you were shocked when you saw the bill. If you're like me, I want you to think about what did your tuition cost you? See, when I start comparing what does generosity with God look like, I want to make sure that I'm comparing it to the right things. You get this? I believe that uh, this is a moment where you're going to come to know God in an incredibly rich and better way, or uh, you're going to miss the moment. Uh, I believe you ought to, if you're married, I believe you ought to pray with your spouse. Brothers, brothers, ladies, you can daydream for a minute. I want you to every morning take your wife's hand and pray out loud with her. I, I want you to pray the best prayer you can pray for your wife. I want you to pray every blessing on her you can think of. I'll tell you, she'll like you better if you do. Uh, and I want the two of you to pray together and say, dear God, what are you asking us to do? Okay. I don't want you to try to figure out what you can do without God. I want you to figure out what God wants to do with you. They are two very different things. Uh, uh, when we were still in Parma, uh, we had a pledge campaign, and uh, Sharon and I uh, made a pledge to that pledge campaign. Uh, we had uh, four kids, and, and church didn't pay me enough to, well, that was then. Uh, all right. We made a pledge. We bought the Lund Road building with those pledges. We outgrew the Lund Road building, and we rented the high school. And uh, we found 32 acres, and, and we had a pledge drive for that, and Sharon and I made a pledge for that. Uh, and then in the 2000s, uh, uh, we, uh, we felt called by God to build a $5 million building. And uh, Sharon and I made a pledge. I, I was probably making about $60,000 at the time, and Sharon and I pledged $50,000 for this campaign uh, over a four-year period. Uh, and when it got close to the end, uh, uh, Sharon and I prayed, and uh, we sold our house. We sold our house and uh, uh, finished our pledge. Uh, I was 52 years old. Sharon, of course, was considerably younger. Um, we moved into an apartment for two years. But if you look at my life now, you can't tell I started over when I was 52. I live in a beautiful split-level house in Medina. 
uh, I, I have a uh, 96 Road King set in my garage. Can't ride it. I've got vertigo, but I'm still proud of it. Uh, I, if you look outside, you'll see a black uh, Ford F-150. It's the best-looking vehicle in the parking lot. Um, if you look at my life now, God has kept his promise. God has kept his promise to Sharon and I. Give, and it will be given unto you. I'm not telling you something that I read in a book. I'm not telling you something I heard an internet preacher say. I'm telling you what my wife and I have experienced as followers of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you what, if you interviewed people from Columbia Station, they, they would tell you the very same thing. Uh, we didn't figure out what could we do without God. We, we tried to figure out what did God want to do with us. And I'm telling you, it changes your Christianity and it changes your church. This church is at a common time in its growth. It's, it's at a time where God is going to take you through experiences that will make you capable of doing absolutely undreamable things in the future. You see, if God can trust you with a mission like this, you can't believe the new missions he'll give you. You can't believe the new opportunities he'll give you. I'm telling you, there are 15-year-old young men in that new neighborhood across on Chestnut Ridge. There are 15-year-old young men who need a church like this. They need to wander in there one Sunday and hear uh, uh, Chet proclaim the majesty of Jesus Christ and, and have his life changed. This is a moment where you come to know God in a way that you can't know him any other way. And because you have uh, responded in faith, God says, this is a congregation I can work with. And he'll give you more business in the future. If you can't trust him, if you have to cling, if you have to hold on, if you just have to have the darn Louis Vuitton bag, you will miss the incredible things that God does to change people's hearts because when he changes their hearts, they become champions for Jesus Christ. Church, this is not just about a pledge campaign. This is about growing into a congregation that knows God, that trusts God, that God knows you and trusts you. And all of those things he uses again and again in the future of this congregation to do exceedingly and abundantly above what we can ask or think. Um, what God is taking you through, you are not alone. He takes churches at this stage of development all the time and gives them the challenge that is so big they can't do it without faith, and they can't do it without him. And the churches that say yes are the churches that God works through generationally. Church, uh, I have people come to me. Uh, if you've never been by our Columbia Station campus, it's, God did just a miracle. And I can't wait to see the campus over there on uh, Chestnut Ridge. It's going to be beautiful. 
Uh, I've had people say to me who came to the church since we built it, uh, I wish I could have been here when you did this. I, 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 wish, I, wish I, I wish I could have had that experience with you. You are people blessed by God. You have an opportunity to do something that will amaze people in the future, and they're going to say, I wish I could have been here when you guys did that. This is your moment with God. This is your moment where you grow. You come to really, you come to really experience the, the incredible reality of God. And um, I'm asking you, uh, don't miss your moment. Now is the time. Our dear Heavenly Father, I ask in the name of Jesus Christ that your Holy Spirit will do what only he can do and you would um, move powerfully on our hearts. I pray that you would convince us of what only you can convince. And I pray that this church would say yes to Jesus Christ. I, say, I pray that they would say yes to faith. I pray that they would say yes to adventure. I pray that they would say yes to relying wholly upon you for something beyond what they can do. And then I pray that their yes is the open door to this congregation thriving and reaching thousands and thousands of people for Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, stand and worship with